Amen. Thank you so much for your giving today, folks. And the Lord richly, richly bless you for it. I want to get right into the Word today. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Father, we thank you for your presence in this room today. We thank you, Almighty God, that you have already been at work healing our bodies, restoring areas that need desperately your restoration. We thank you, God, that already you've reconnected hearts to you, washed away sins, Lord, and set people back on their purpose, back on the right path. Now, God, we quiet ourselves, we still ourselves, and we come up around uh, your, your feet, as it were, so hungry to hear what you have to say. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Let it be clear. Let it be powerful. And let it absolutely turn us around. We give you all the praise and glory for it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody, say amen. amen. Today I want to do part two of our series entitled, It's Turnaround Time. Come on, look at your neighbor and tell him it's turnaround time. Turnaround time, that's right. Last week we discussed turning our attitudes around, our mentality, our, our thinking. No more living in the land of mourning. No more seeing all the glasses half empty. Time to turn the attitudes around. But today, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to help us in turning our affections around. I want to draw your attention to one word in our text. Look at this. Wicked. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. This word jumped off the page at me just as I've tried to put it up on the screen for you. Bold, all caps, exclamation point, wicked. But what do you think of when you hear the word wicked? What do you think of? Anyone? Evil. Well, interestingly, in Boston, they've taken this word and twisted it just a little bit. Wicked is now a slang term in the Boston area, and it's grown uh, beyond Boston, but I think that's where it originated. They've taken the word wicked uh, as a slang term to mean wonderful or extremely great. They'll say things like, he blows a wicked trumpet, or... That shirt is wicked awesome. So see, wicked doesn't mean the same thing to everybody necessarily. Maybe you, like me, instantly see the Wicked Witch of the West from the Wizard of Oz. Look at this. Ah. 
How many would just be honest with me today and say, you still love the Wizard of Oz? You remember growing up, Libby, you had to, you had to really know when that thing was going to be on because it was on once a year. And if you missed it, you missed it, and you had to wait a whole other year before you could see it. Remember that? Now we can just watch it whenever we want because it's part of the DVD collection. You know, I mean, Wicked. See, that's what I thought of, first off, was the Wicked Witch of the West. Which, by the way, let me give you a little bit of background on her. There's a Broadway smash hit musical called Wicked. And this musical gives a glimpse into the life of the Wicked Witch of the West. Before Dorothy's house dropped on her sister, the Wicked Witch of the East, and killed her. It turns out that Elphaba, which by the way is the Wicked Witch of the West, that's her name. It turns out that Elphaba wasn't always wicked. Did you know that? She was just born different than everybody else. Elphaba was born green. She had green skin, and so everybody thought with green skin, you had, to be, you had to be evil, you had to be weird, you had to be different, you had to be wicked. So just because she was different, everybody started calling her wicked. Well, after a while, she finally decided, if everybody thinks I'm wicked, then I'll be wicked, and thus is born the wicked witch of the West. Just a little history there. Just a little background Webster's Dictionary defines wicked as evil. Somebody said evil. Morally bad in principle. Sinful. Evil. Morally bad. Corrupt. Sinful. So let me ask you this question. Where does wickedness come from? Anyone? Where does wickedness come from? The devil. Okay. Thank you, Jordan. I was, I was hoping somebody would say that. And while I would agree with you that wickedness and evil and sin does come from the devil, Lucifer, Satan, the devil cannot force God's people to be wicked or act out in a wicked way. Would you agree with me? And look again there in your text. Look how this starts. It says, if my people, right, who are called by my name. Folks, we are not talking about the ungodly here. We're talking about the godly here. We are not talking about the lost here. We are talking about the found here. So let me ask you again, where does wickedness come from? The wickedness that we have to battle and deal with as believers, as sons and daughters of the King, it comes from the heart. And the heart, folks, this is where our affections are housed. All our affections are housed in the heart. Maybe you've said this term to someone, I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my heart. If you're married, hopefully somewhere along the line, you've said that. I've said that to Karen. My love for her is, is prompted and stored and initiated in my heart. I love you with all my hands. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I love you with all my feet, right? 
I love you with both my ears, honey. You know. But you know what somebody's talking about when they say, oh, I love you with all my heart. Do you remember the first time you held hands with, with, a, with a, uh, ladies with a, with a boy when you were an adolescent? Do you remember the first time you held a hand? Do you remember what happened in your heart? Do you remember the first kiss? Oh, can I talk to you just a moment? Keep her microphone off, please. She's got the microphone in her hand. No, turn her on. She, I want to hear anything she says, I want to hear. Karen's like E.F. Hutton. When she speaks, buddy, I listen. I remember, folks, very, very clearly to this day, the very first kiss that I gave to Karen. I'm, a, I'm aside the sacred desk. You want me to come over here? Listen. It was April the 28th. I'll never forget it. it it's embedded in my mind. It's seared in my heart. We were coming home from our very first date. We went to see the Cathedral Quartet in concert. How many Cathedral Quartet lovers out there? Oh, yeah. Good Southern Gospel. They don't, two of the founders died, and they don't even have Cathedral Quartet anymore. They, they branched off and did something else. Anyway, we went to the Cathedral Quartet concert, and we were coming home. It was about an hour drive, and I'd gotten up the nerve to at least hold her hand, you know, and so that had gone on long enough, and I just saw a window of opportunity, and I thought, I'm going to crawl through this window, and either she's going to like it or she's not going to like it, and we'll go on another date, or this might be it. And I leaned over, and I gave her a little, a little kissy. See, my heart's starting to pound right now just talking about it. Woo. I didn't know she's going to kiss me back. I kissed her, and buddy, she kissed me back, right? There's something about kissing somebody, and then there's something about somebody kissing you back. I kissed her, and she kissed me back, and it's all over. It's all over from that day forward. It's all in the heart. I love you with all my heart. You make my heart sing. My heart goes pit-a-patter, right? It's where our affections are housed. I'm not talking about the muscle that is pumping blood even as we speak. Everybody in this room has a muscle right now, and it is pumping blood to all parts of your body. You ought to thank God for that, because if not, well, <laughs> there's something else we need to talk about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the soul place, the heart. Not only is love housed here, folks, all manner of evil and all manner of wickedness is, is housed in this place. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9. I want you to look at this. I want you to see this today. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Wow. It is true. The heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 19 say this concerning the heart, but those things which proceed out of the mouth, well, they come from the heart. And they defile a man, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemy. My Lord. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 34, calling them a brood of vipers. 
How can you, he asked, being evil, speak good things? And here's the scripture that we all know well. We've recited this, probably most of us at least. For out of the, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How many would say, I've, I've recited that, I've used that, I've quoted that, I've said that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You don't have to wonder what somebody's thinking because before long, it's just going to come out. What somebody is thinking and, and how they're thinking, it will, be, it will be displayed, it will be shown. If it's the right manner, the right attitude, it'll show. I said this to the staff the other day, when you squeeze the grape, the true juice comes out. <laughs> it can't even help coming out. The juice that is in the grape is just going to come out. Every now and then, folks, the world puts the squeeze on us, doesn't it? What comes out? Whatever's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. Everybody has a nail-on-the-thumb experience. That's just life. You can't go through life and not hammer your thumb every now and then. You can't go through life and not have some kind of tribulation arise and some kind of situation arise. And the true test will be in that moment. Your true character will show whatever's in the heart, it is going to come out of the mouth. If it's the right spirit or not the right spirit, it will be shown. Let me just tell you. In order to have a turnaround, folks, we've got to start with the right attitude. We talked about that last week. That's our mentality. That's our mindset. Not living in the land of mourning anymore. Not living in the land of disappointment or discouragement anymore. We're moving on. And we're turning our attitudes around. Followed secondly by a turn of our affections. The mind and the heart are connected. What's in your heart will be what you think about. And what you think about and what you dwell on in your heart ultimately is what you will say and it is how you will live. So you want your marriage turned around. You want your finances turned around. You want your business turned around. You want your children turned around. You want this turned around. You want that turned around. It's got to start in the unseen areas. Our mind and our heart. Our attitude and our affection. When these areas, folks, of our, of our lives start turning around, it will set in motion a whole series of turnaround. It's like cogs on a wheel. Cogs in the machinery. When the attitude starts turning, when the affections start turning, it will turn these other areas of our lives. And that's, folks, how we will see the ultimate turnaround. So, how, then, do we turn our affections around? Number one, it starts with humility. It starts with humility. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Let's just stop right there. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. It starts with humility. Humility, by the way... <laughs> is not going to come natural for most. You won't naturally be humble. Our human instinct is pride. 
our human instinct is selfishness. Wanting to make ourselves look the best and appear the best and even be the best. We work hard at being the best at things. Those who are athletic, you don't want to lose. How many athletes do we have in the house? Any athletes? Victor, great example right here. Victor's a, a coach. He's a coach for wrestling at, at uh, Western High School. Great, great brother right here. And he is athletic. I mean, you can just tell by his, by his physique. I mean, he's just got the, the physique of an athlete, right? No body fat. I mean, he's just tone and fit, you know. But do you ever want to lose? You don't want to lose. You don't do, go through all that so you can lose. Or you don't train your boys or, or girls even. There's plenty of girl uh, wrestlers. I, I didn't know that, but there's plenty of girl wrestlers as well. You don't train these athletes so they'd lose. See, it's contrary. Humility, humbleness is contrary to what you will just instinctively want to do. You will instinctively want to be the best. There's nothing wrong with excelling and being the best that you can be as long as we give God all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. But we get ourselves involved and we think it's more about us than about Him. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pride is the human instinct in most, even in believers. You ever heard the phrase, too proud to beg? There's a lot of truth to that. I'm astounded at how many believers are too, well, too prideful to let people know what's going on in their lives. And while... Your situation and your struggle may not be everybody's business. It is certain one's business. Let me, let me clarify this for you. If you're struggling in your marriage, let's say, that's private. That's not something that you just tell everybody, and you shouldn't tell anybody. But there is someone that you should tell. If you're a member here or a regular attender here, or if you consider me your pastor, let me say it like that, then you should tell me. You should absolutely let me know so that I can strategize with you and I can pray with you. But people are too prideful. They don't want anybody to know. And so they'd rather just, and they don't even think it like this, but this is, this is ultimately what happens. They'd rather just their marriage fall apart. Because if you'd, you'd have said something to the man of God, the pastor, the shepherd, back when it just started, perhaps, listen to this, perhaps God would actually speak a word through me to you. Can you imagine God doing that? That's actually his plan. God's going to speak to you through his word. God's going to speak to you in your prayer closet and in your prayer time. But here's another way that God will speak to you. It is through the, the appointed man of God, appointed woman of God in your life. And thankfully, that's me right now. For the majority in this room, I would say, I'm honored, honored to be your pastor. Karen and I are honored to serve you in any capacity, as well as this staff. But don't be too prideful to let the pastors 
and the people who are appointed and anointed to speak in your life. Too proud to beg, too proud to beg for help from others whom you can see, too proud then to beg from God whom you can't see. It takes humbling yourself, recognizing you need help. You need help. You can't do it on your own. Cynthia, you can't do it on your own, sis. And this is a great first step for you, you and your son. But there's many steps ahead. That's why I wanted you to go in and talk with the, the water fields. There's many steps ahead for you. But you're going to have to just humble yourself like the rest of us and acknowledge every day, folks, God, I need your help. I need your help in this situation. Let me, let me give you a few scriptures that I know are going to help you concerning humbling yourself. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. Look at this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you see a minister fall, you see a brother in the faith fall, you see a sister in the faith fall, if you will retrace their steps, I don't think you'll have to trace back very many steps before you see the culprit. It is pride. Whether it's concerning sex or money or power or authority, whatever it is, if you trace it all back and you water it all down and you boil it all down, you'll find the ultimate culprit is pride. Pride goes before the fall. Pride goes before destruction. Proverbs 11:2: when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. And James 4:10, I love this, says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Interestingly, both James and the writer of 2 Chronicles both use the same terminology. James says to humble yourself. The writer of 2 Chronicles says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves. Folks, you don't want God to humble you. You don't want God to humble you. He's giving you all the, the uh, heads up that you need. Humble yourself. And we have the ability to humble ourselves. We just have to be praying about this and asking God even for the grace and the mercy that we need to humble ourselves. Recognize that you can't do this on your own. Psalm 147, 6 says, The Lord lifts the humble and casts down, look at it again, here it is, He casts down the wicked. See, in, in the right time, God will exalt you. In the right season, the Lord will promote you. You don't need to kick and scream and claw at the doors. You don't need to elbow your way to the top of the corporate ladder. God is big enough to exalt you and promote you and to lift you up in the right time and in the right season. So all you need to do is just stay humble. Just keep eating humble pie. Oh, you'll get a, you'll get a liking for it. You'll get a taste for it. You'll get a hankering for it after a while. It's something we have to learn how to do. We're absolutely nothing without God. You are absolutely nothing without God. Keep yourself humble. And in due time, God will lift up. God will promote. God will advance. God will bless. God will open doors. It starts, folks, with humility. And that's not just one time. 
When I say it starts, you got to start it again tomorrow. And you got to start it again the next day. you got to start it again next week. Because it just doesn't take long for pride to set in, to, for pride to creep in, selfishness to come in. Starts with humility, it continues with prayer. Number two, for those who are taking notes today, jot this down, it continues with prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Let me stop right there. Why don't we pray more? I've taken this poll many times. How many believe that God hears you when you pray? Everybody raises their hands. I follow that question with this question. How many would testify today and say that God has answered your prayers in the past? All hands go up again. And it's true. We know that God hears us. We have testimony that God answers us. My question is, why don't we pray more? I mean, think about it. We're invited to pray. Jeremiah 33 and 3. Love this. Call to me, God said, and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. What an invitation we have from God Himself. He said, call to me. Come and pray to me. Commune with me. Interact with me with words. Wow. We're invited to pray by God. We're expected to pray by Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Three different times, starting with verse number 5, Jesus said, and when you pray, verse number 5. Verse number 6, he says, but when you pray. Verse number 7, he says, and when you pray. And he follows all this up with verse number 9, and he says, therefore, in this manner, pray. We're invited by God Almighty to pray. We're expected by Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, to pray. My question again, why don't we pray more? And it's not just, ladies and gentlemen, a little, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And listen, if you incorporate this particular prayer with your children, I'm not, I'm not making light of it. I'm not minimizing this prayer. And if it's prayed with the right heart, I, listen, that's fine. I, I pray certain things every day. I mean verbatim. And I know God hears it and answers it. So I'm not trying to tell you, you've got you to pray new words and different words every day. I don't know who can do that. But if that's all you're praying is a little, now I lay me down to sleep, you're missing it because it says pray and seek God's face. This is roll up your sleeves terminology right here. This is you better loosen your tie right here. This is you better take off your jacket right here. This is a work word, seek. God's face. That's not casual. If all you're doing is praying a little, now I lay me down to sleep before you go to sleep, if all you're doing is praying a little prayer of blessing over your oatmeal in the morning and over your sandwich at lunchtime and over your pot roast at dinner time, you're missing it. That's not the kind of prayer that the Father's talking about right here. He's talking about praying that is diligent. He's talking about prayer that is aggressive. He's talking about prayer that is continual. He's talking about prayer that just no matter what. 
if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. See, folks, I said this last week, but I believe it bears repeating. Do your part. Do your part. We want God to just do everything. He has a whole list of things that he's waiting on us to do before we even get to the then part. If. Starts off by saying if. If you're not willing to do all that God has said, don't get mad at him when he doesn't come through on his part. Hello? He's more than willing. He's more than ready and able. But do your part. Turn from your wickedness. It starts with humility. It continues with prayer and seeking God's face. It results, number three, in a turnaround. The results of us doing our part, humbling ourselves, praying, seeking God's face, and turning from our wicked ways. There's the turnaround. It's the turning from the wickedness. Where's it housed? Where's it lived? It's in the heart of mankind. The heart is deceitful, Jeremiah said. We want turnaround. Yeah. Ready for turnaround, Pastor. How about turning the heart around? If my people who are called by my name, verse 14, one more time, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Look at verse number 15. Now my eyes will be open. Now my ears will be attentive to prayer made in this place. Wow. When we pray, when we seek God's face, when we turn from our wickedness, then God begins to turn things around. Sins that were once unforgiven, now they're forgiven. Lands that were once barren and filled with disease. Now they're healed and they're fruitful and they're productive. When God's eyes were closed, now they're open. God's eyes that are God's ears that were, were deafened, now they're open and attentive. I just want to draw your attention to one more verse as Pastor Moses comes. It's verse 16. Powerful. God said, now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever, that my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. In other words, God's not just desiring to stop by for a visit every now and then. God desires to be here on an ongoing basis, perpetually, not with, without stopping. He's just here all the time. His eyes are here. His ears are here. His heart is here. Church, I believe that God has also chosen La Palma Christian Center and this house. Do you agree? I believe further that God has sanctified La Palma Christian Center unto Himself. Do you still agree? 
God has a purpose and a plan for us that we have yet to tap into. God desires His name to be here. God desires His eyes to be here. His heart to be here. In order for these things to happen perpetually, ongoing, there has to be a, a turning of our affections. What is your heart set on? When you struggle, if you struggle, what's the area of struggle? When you're tempted, how are you tempted? What is your heart drawn to that it shouldn't be drawn to that you've got to pray through? I want you to bow your heads and ponder this this morning. Oh, Father, how we long for a turnaround of our hearts, of our affections. That coupled with the turning of our attitudes and our mindset. Father, I believe that that will set in motion the cogs, the wheels, the machinery that will turn these other areas around in our lives. Help us today, God, to turn our hearts toward you. Folks, I want you to stand. And I'm going to invite every believer here to come to this front area. Because I believe that all of us have areas of our heart that could be turned more toward God. So I'm calling, congregation, come now. I want you to come and just press around this front area. Let me pray over you that God would turn our hearts and our affections toward Him completely, wholly, without reservation. Come on and press up. There's, there's, there's many, many here. I want you to press on up. Just cup your hands up or lift your hands up if you can. And just start asking right now for a change of heart. Change my heart, oh God. Change my heart, oh God. Lord, you see the areas that are outright wicked that some, they struggle. This is the area of temptation. And they continue to get snared. God, forgive that. Turn that now. Turn that affection. That instead of these areas of desire, our desire would be for you. These are the areas that, are, that we know of, God, that we see. But there's the unseen, Lord just waiting to, to lead us in the wrong direction. God, our heart is a, a house of affection, both of love and it is a world of iniquity. It's filled with wickedness. So we pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come on, ask him right now. Say, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would fill every congregate now 
every brother and sister, fill them with your Holy Spirit to overflowing so that there would be no room for wickedness to manifest itself. No evil, no sinful ways, God. But we would walk in the path that you have called us to walk in, Lord. We would be Spirit-filled believers displaying fruit of your Spirit. Change my heart, oh God. Come on, pray this with me. Make it ever true. Change my heart. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. It's turnaround time, church. Come on. It's turnaround time, Tawana. Woo! Turnaround time. That's right. It is. I hope you're getting this with me, because this is seriously going to set in motion these other areas that need turned around. How many would say, I need to, I need to turn around in my family? Come on, just be honest. I need to turn around in my family. Some, I won't ask you to lift your hand, but I already know you need to turn around in your marriage. How many would say, I need to turn around in my finances? Come on. All this is going to set it in motion. The right mentality, the right attitude, and the right heart. There's just no stopping it. I see it clearly. I see it clearly. And, and we're, we're still here in wonderful testimony of restoration and healing. My brother here came today and he said no cancer. His wife his wife was restored. Yay! Hallelujah! Thank you God. Amen. Let me invite you back tonight if at all possible. I want to invite you to come back tonight. We're going to have another God encounter. I really prayed on if we were to move in another direction, but I feel the Holy Spirit leading us to stay in this mode of prayer and praise and worship. We're going to get into the fishbowl, God willing. I, I think this is where we're going to go. Again, I want to let the Holy Spirit lead us, right? So this is what I'm thinking we're going to do. We're going to get in this fishbowl again, and we're going to pray and aggressively and diligently seek 
God's face on some needs, and these needs are being answered. So gather with us tonight. 5.30 is prayer time. 6.30 will begin our service. God bless everybody. Have a great, great day, and we'll look for you tonight. You are the power.